Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been taking a look at the various kind of pillars of the Reformation, right? Why is the Reformation necessary? What's the Reformation all about? And today we're going to take a look at the term grace. And grace is something we're so used to hearing about in church, right? From the very beginning to the end of the Bible, the Bible is practically dripping with God's grace, right? The Catechism tells us that Even the fact that we're created is just done out of God's divine grace, right? His free gift toward us. We know that God's grace is displayed to us when Christ Jesus takes on the sin of the world, right? Heals us, makes us whole, makes us new without blemish or spot. So grace is something that we're used to hearing about in kind of big terms, right? In in our, our big ideas within the Christian church. But I think we kind of struggle with grace on a practical level, right? We often wonder, I don't know about you, but certainly I do, I wonder about what grace looks like in our kind of day-to-day, hour-to-hour experience of life, right? What does grace look like when, as a parent, I'm struggling with my toddler? What does grace look like if we're in the middle of an argument with our spouse? What does grace look like if we're dealing with a conflict at work with a colleague, with a friend, right? How do we show grace in small moments like these? And in my reading, in preparing for the sermon, I found a quote about grace that kind of took me off guard, and also I kind of find myself uh, struggling with a little bit. And I'll wonder if you guys have the same the struggle that I had. Uh, it's by this French theologian, uh, St. Teresa of Lisieux. Uh, who I found out, incidentally, was my grandmother's namesake this week. I didn't know that, but I found that out. And listen along closely to the quote and see if you had the same problem with it that I did. Here's what she says. She says, I'll look for some means of going to heaven by a little way, which is very short and very straight, a little way that's quite new. It's your arms, Jesus, which are the lift to carry me to heaven. And so there's no need for me to grow up. In fact, just the opposite. I must stay little and become less and less. Isn't there something about that that simply bothers us in terms of the way that we traditionally think about other aspects of our lives, right? In every other aspect of our lives, we have a habit. We have something that we practice. We have something that we do in order to get better and better at the thing that we're looking to achieve. And yet here, St. Teresa really cuts to the core of it. Grace operates the exact opposite way. Grace is not something we get better at. It's not something we contribute to. Instead, I've never heard it quite described this way, and it took me off guard, but I think it's right. The idea of grace being a lift, right? Almost like an elevator. I'd never heard it described that way. And yet it's so true. Grace carries us along, right? It lifts us to where we need to be. There's nothing that we can contribute to it. Instead, it's simply something that we receive, right? So we can't really chip away at the work of becoming a good Christian. Instead, we're simply formed in it. We're shaped by God's grace as it envelops us, it takes care of us, And it really does all the work on our behalf. So that's the fortunate part for us, right? The grace runs counter to how we want our faith life, our spiritual lives, so often to operate, right? 
And the other kind of aspect of that quote that I really think resonates with some of the key focuses of the Reformation is the idea that we should actually embrace then smallness, right? Because ultimately, the Christian life, right, the Christian walk is not about us getting better, kind of more popular, more successful at anything we do, pastors and lay people alike. Instead, actually, the Christian life is about really focusing on how great God's love is for us, focusing on that grandiosity, and then realizing that what we contribute is quite small by comparison. But that's actually a good thing, right? The idea is that we can actually rest in that. We can take refuge in that. We can simply receive God's grace and kind of marvel at the fact that God's love is quite grand compared to our relative smallness, right? So our ability to be a Christian is not, a, to be a good Christian is not what we're after. Instead, we're actually after simply receiving the large love of God, right? The love of God that's always in our, our focus. But if we think a little bit deeper about that, and if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that we're often not good at kind of letting that be the modus operandi, right? We're not really good at kind of showing forth the love of God and the grace of God, right? We don't like forgiving people who have wronged us, right? We want to kind of hold grudges. That's what's sort of natural to us, right? We inwardly might cringe at times when we think we had an opportunity to share a kind word and yet didn't. And I know that we can all call to mind a moment along those lines. And that's why I come back to St. Teresa of Lisieux's words because the idea is that our smallness, right, our sinfulness can't get us to where we need to be, right? Instead, we have to be carried, lifted, elevated further and further into the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, that's given freely. So really, the emphasis of the faith is simply on receiving our Heavenly Father's care, rejoicing in that. And I find that as I get older and as I continue to kind of journey along in the Christian life, this is something that's really become a joy for me personally, right? Knowing that I can't contribute, but rather simply God's goal really is to call us through the gospel to make us into who he would like us to be and ultimately to become smaller and yet more reliant on God's grace that does all the work that we don't contribute to, that we simply receive, right? That's what it means to be God's people. Now, I asked the question before, what does God's grace look like, right? In practical instances, right? Things like our, our day-to-day lives, right? But I'll ask an even more fundamental question, which is, do we culturally like grace at all? And I think the answer is sometimes surprising. I think it's actually no, right? Oftentimes, we don't like grace. Grace is often not our first instinct culturally. If you remember, this would have been quite a few years ago. We're talking about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, There was an NBA star by the name of Allen Iverson. And if you remember Allen Iverson, he was a lightning rod of controversy, right? He was kind of the stereotypical kind of me first player, right? Uh, There was the famous step, right? When he stepped over the player on the opposite team, right? And so he was kind of um, just a a stereotype of being that kind of me first, kind of me centric player. And he was asked in an interview by Stephen A. Smith if looking back on his career, he had any advice, right? Advice for the current crop of NBA talent that was coming up, people like LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony at the time. And there was a quote that I think actually resonates more now than when he said it 15 years ago. Iverson replied, as far as any advice he said, he, uh, any advice he had, he said this. He said, they love you right now, but please believe me, the first incident, the first time something happens, they're waiting, man. They're waiting. 
And I thought how true that is, right? The culture that we live in oftentimes doesn't default to grace first and foremost. We might call sin something different, right? We might call it accountability, whatever the case is, right? But at the end of the day, we all know that feeling of knowing that someone's sin is now who they are. It's inescapable. They're waiting. You are tied to your sin, and that is now your identity in the culture that we're a part of. Which then kind of reminds me of the counter image to that sort of guilt and shame feeling that we know. And I don't know if anybody here has watched Ted Lasso, but that is like my wife and I's favorite show. <laughs> and there's a wonderful moment in the first season that really resonated because of its deep and profound depiction of God's grace. And I would say that this grace idea resonates then on a spiritual level. So uh, follow along as I kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, it's, the show itself is about an American football coach who is hired to then coach an English Premier League football team, right? And at first, the concept is kind of like Major League. It's like a fish-out-of-water story, right? And you get to see the American who's out of sorts as he's living in England, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually, it becomes a lot more than that, right? It actually becomes kind of a human story. And really, the central conceit is that Ted Lasso's kind of fundamental warmth, right, his human decency works to break down barriers both between him and the team, but then also between him and the owner of the club, who the only reason that he, uh, she has hired uh, Ted is to get back at her ex-husband, right? She's acquired the team uh, through this uh, divorce proceeding, right? But Ted Lasso's, again, his warmth, the grace he displays, actually forms a friendship then between him and the owner. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that the owner has built this friendship on top of a lie, right? There's a real friendship there, but ultimately her sin has not just kind of hurt people in the abstract, but it's hurt this person that she's come to love, to know, and to admire, uh, and has real-world repercussions. So if you're familiar with sort of rom-com tropes, what we would expect would be for her to confess her sin, right, to go to Ted heart in hand, and that there would be some sort of falling out, right, and then eventually that they would reconcile. But why I think this is a wonderful depiction of grace is because that's not how it works out, right? She confesses her sin, heart in hand. He, she's totally vulnerable, right? And what does Ted do? There's a slight pause, and he simply says, I forgive you, after shaking his head. And she asks why. And he says, you know, divorce makes people do crazy things, right? But that's it. They don't speak about it again. The forgiveness is total, it's complete, it's instant. And that's why I say it resonates so deeply with what we know about grace within the church, right? Because God's grace kind of operates in a, in a very similar way, right? This is the backwards way that the church operates. We don't withhold forgiveness. Instead, we forgive those who have harmed us. We love our enemies, right? The upside-down economy of the church is that Jesus tells us that the first are last, the last are first, right? This is what it means to be part of the church. And while the world often tells us they're waiting the church speaks words that are counter to that. The church simply says, I forgive you. And that's what drives everything about who we are as Christians. Now, the reality is we're not perfect at sharing that love of God, at being God's grace in the world, right? We'd love to be a bunch of Ted Lassos in our day-to-day -day lives, kind of enlivening everyone's day. But we know that's not the case, right? Oftentimes, we kind of hold our opponent's feet to the fire when we should forgive, and maybe we don't always share a kind word. And that's why St. Paul considers grace to be the driving uh, force within the church. 
And that's why he says to Timothy, he says, be strengthened by God's grace that's in Christ Jesus. That's what we have to come back to over and over and over again, right? We have to be caught up on that elevator of heaven, that we don't do anything to merit. We simply receive, right? We have to be caught off guard by how childlike we are in light of God's grace, in light of the love that he has for us. And that ultimately is the principle that drives us forward in our love towards our neighbor and our love towards our friends, our family that we come into contact with, right? God's grace alone was a principle of the Reformation for that reason, and it's still a principle for us today. That that has to be the thing that we continually take refuge in, that unmerited favor of God toward us, right? It's a free gift that covers over our shortcomings, it covers over our sins, it covers over our spiritual bruises, our emotional hurts, and is what continues to guard the church and guide the church as we seek to reconcile with one another. And for me at least, and I'm not sure if this is true for you, there are times in life where you find that this is particularly joyful to take refuge in. And a few years ago, this was true for Michaela and I, where we hit one of those moments where we were just spiritually run down, right? There is nothing that we could really do to muster up the effort to kind of, you know, if you want to say, do the work of being a good Christian. And that's why it was such a joy to hear the words that were saved by grace through faith alone. And that was something that we could simply receive and simply rest in, right? We could hear that promise of forgiveness in the word just given to us. We could receive that in the sacraments just given to us. And we could receive that through prayer, Oftentimes, not even prayer that we prayed, but rather prayer that others prayed on our behalf. That's what it means to be carried along by God's grace in this continual, full manner, right? We're guided along, carried to where we need to be. And St. Paul then concludes our reading with a similar note of encouragement. He says, if we're faithless, Christ Jesus actually remains faithful. And I'd really encourage you to, to make that saying your own, right? Take refuge in that commit it to heart because it's so central to who we are as Christians, right? We have a God who is gracious in a way that goes above and beyond what we think and what we often expect. He remains loving even when we ourselves are often not loving. And he remains forgiving when we as culture wait for other people to slip up so we can pounce. And the good news ultimately is that when we ourselves find ourselves in the position of slipping up, Christ Jesus isn't waiting there for the I told you so. He's waiting there with three simple words. I forgive you. Amen.